0: Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast.
1: I'm listening to Radical Philosophy on Radio 3CR, 855 on your AM dial. I'm Marsha Barron at Indiana University.
2: Like some food for thought?
0: Tune in to Radical Philosophy with discussions on freedom, happiness, knowledge, evil, and rational argument. With words from Midgley, Caputi, Adams, Stewart, Wolfe, and Gruber. Let's get radical about philosophy. <laughs> Thanks very much for tuning in to Radical Philosophy. I'm your host, Beth Matthews. Today on the program, I'm going to be speaking with Professor Lydia Gurr about the philosophy of music. Welcome to the program.
1: Thank you. Delighted to be over the airwaves with you. Can you give us a little bit
0: of background information about yourself,
1: How far back would you like to go? I'm a professor of philosophy at Columbia University. I've been in America. As you can hear, I have an English accent. I've been in America for nearly 40 years, teaching philosophy and mostly teaching philosophy of music and philosophy of the arts. And I come originally from England, And I come from a musical family that originally came from Berlin. And I was brought up playing the violin. And then I went into philosophy. And recently I started playing the violin again. So I'm really back to music. But for most of my life I've been writing about music and philosophical issues about music.
0: So what was it that inspired you to study the philosophy of music?
1: Well, at the beginning I was very interested in metaphysics and quite traditional questions, what is questions, and I, someone advised me to think about music because of my musical background and uh, And I read one book by Roman Ingarden on the nature of the musical work. And that sort of set me off on a long journey during my undergraduate years and then my graduate training. And I ended up writing a thesis on the musical work. But while I was writing the thesis, I underwent a sort of radical philosophical shift of interest and argued vehemently, strongly against Anglo-American approaches, so-called analytic approaches to thinking about musical works and became much more of a historical thinker, a social thinker, and ended up with a quite um, apparently seemingly radical thesis that people had not thought about music in terms of works until relatively late. I marked it around the period of Beethoven, and that meant, and this was my famously provocative sentence, that Bach had not had the idea of a musical work in mind when he was composing his many compositions. And that particular claim (laughs) sort of set me off on a career uh, of defending myself, um, and it's, uh, the rest is history in a way. I, I didn't actually ever intend to do philosophy of music as such. Uh, that was not my idea. I was always interested in philosophy and found that music was a particularly good example for thinking about many philosophical issues. And so I'm not even sure I'd say I'm a philosopher of music i am rather try to be a philosopher who uses music in its many dimensions to think about philosophical issues and mostly nowadays social and political issues. So that's, that's pretty much the trajectory of my life in the philosophy of music.
0: So what is Music.
1: What is music? Well I wouldn't say music is anything as such. I mean most boringly you would say it has to do with the art of sound and the art that travels through the ear. But in fact I treat music as an entire social practice. So it has its performative element and its construction element, its compositional element It's linked up very much with a history of ethics and mathematics, going back to Pythagoras, when people thought about music as corresponding somehow to the harmony of the spheres. It has to do a lot with relations between sounds, patterns of sounds, and therefore patterns of sounds that give off a beautiful impression as opposed to an ugly impression. I'm rather suspicious about most claims of beauty, but nevertheless, that's what it is in its history. There's a philosophy of music started off as a science of music, very close to mathematics. And as it went on, it became more involved with its performative practice side. I'm interested in ideas of improvisation and how that's linked to a certain kind of creative process where you actually create in the act of performing so music is many things it's got its economic dimension it's got its social professional dimension there are musicians who engage in music in all kinds of ways I'm very interested in the idea of music being what musicians do I like to talk about what musicians do with music as opposed to what music is, some kind of abstract pattern of sounds, which is a normal way that philosophers begin. They they always talk about this abstract object, whereas I like to ask, what do people do with music? What does it achieve? What, um, how is it, is it used in society?
0: What do you think the purpose and value of music is?
1: I think it has many purposes and many values. Again, I'm irritating, you know, if you expect of a philosopher, a nice, neat, single answer. But music has all kinds of purposes, some of which are very good. The famous calming of the soul with King David in the Old Testament. It has the element of entertainment, the accompaniment to dance the celebration of festivities, the mourning at a funeral, linked to death, but it's also used to torture people. There's all kinds of ways that music is used to create hell for people in their ears. It's actually a technique of torture. So it has its values and negative. It's used in many different ways, and I'm I'm very interested myself in the way in which we've um, made music into something, or a lot of philosophers have, and a lot of people who write about music, they always want it to be somehow linked, as in theology, to something redemptive. It's always got to be something good, it's what, what keeps people alive, it's what sustains people's sense of hope music and hope are correlated very closely. But I'm interested just because of the way I am in a lot of the negative uses of music, the way that it's used with certain kinds of violence. And to uh, you see music used very well in social protest movements with song and dance. That's extremely interesting. But you also see it used um, in very violent circumstances And it's always still justified That somehow music is a redemptive language That is going to save your soul But sometimes actually it destroys people And so I'm interested in those users
0: mm, Yeah, I do find it quite torturous When I'm listening to music that I don't really like That's a, I hadn't actually thought about it In those terms But could you explain about Analytic and historical Philosophical approaches
1: Well This will be crude of course But analytical approaches To music tend to Ask the what is questions And they try to give Definitions of music Or they try to give Necessary and sufficient conditions For something to be a musical work Or What is the performance of the musical work, or what roles does notation have, or what is expression in music? And they tend to isolate the conditions that are most general to the practice to cover the entire spectrum of music. And so the achievement of an analytical theory would be to give a set of conditions that hold for all cases, of performance or of everything that counts as a musical work and so on. And this is quite crude and it's changed somewhat in the last 30 years, but this is the general idea. The the historical approach, which I favor much more, is about the development of a concept of music, the way that the concept emerged as such, or the, the, the kind of history of ideas. It's not just a history, because one's looking at philosophical issues that come out of conceptual understanding. But if you, for example, as I was once very interested in Wittgenstein, you would describe, describe an entire form of life where words have attained a certain kind of meaning so that when you say music, you know what it points to, what it picks out, but without assuming that music, the, the term would always be used in this way. So the history allows for certain kinds of ch- changes and alterations in the practice. And I must prefer that kind of account.
0: When I hear a particular piece of music, it can really take me back in time to a place where I first heard it or remember listening to it for the first time with friends. Uh, what other emotions does music ev- evoke in people?
1: Well, of course, and it should be clear but by now, I'm going to say it evokes every sort of emotion. The idea, when when philosophers raise these questions about emotions in music, they want to find emotions that are somehow reliable or consistent or objective so that, that are attached to the actual compositional form of a piece of music. So if you say a particular song or a symphony has sadness in it, The sadness has to be linked to the actual construction or form of the music so that somebody could be wrong if they said, oh, I hear this as happy music. Someone could say, no, 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 the form is correlated to the emotion of sadness. Of course, those correlations are extremely hard to sustain or pin down. And that's led some people to say, we don't want to talk about emotions as provoked or caused by music. We're not talking about the emotions in in people. What we want to talk about is the expressive capacities that are actually inside the music. And that's also very difficult to work out, but it preoccupies many, many philosophers of music and much of their time. I don't particularly like the subject myself If I think about emotions, I like to think about, I'm more interested in how artworks in general, not just music, but artworks in general, have the capacity to change our moods or change our mind. Most interestingly, how things change our mind. One of the philosophical projects is to, that people get stuck in their ways. You know, they respond politically in the same way to the same ideas they have this sort of liking for something you know so if you like spinach how do you change someone's mind about spinach and get them to dislike it if they liked it or it and so on and i find thinking about music and art as a way of changing one's emotions or changing one one's moods to be the more interesting approach to the subject So, for example, if you're really taken by a national anthem and it leads you to be nationalist or um, whatever committed to your country, that can be a good thing, I guess, and often it can be a really bad thing. And how do you snap people out of that sort of immediate response to a national anthem so that they don't get up and, you know, wave their flags every time they hear it? And it's that, sort of, again, that change of mind, that change of mood, change of emotion that I, I investigate more and think is the more interesting approach.
0: You were listening to Radical Philosophy on Radio 3CR, 8.55 on your AM dial. And I'm speaking with Professor Lydia Gurr about yeah. the philosophy of music. Do you think that there's just one single interpretation of music or is there multiple acceptable interpretations?
1: I think that there are, as a matter of fact, of course, there are multiple interpretations. It depends what you mean by an interpretation. If you think of someone playing Beethoven piano sonata and they're always they always play it exactly right they get all the notes right they follow all the dynamic and expressive markings and everybody performs it in exactly that way. We would it would be like listening to a record over and over again and we would find it in a way re- boringly repetitive. So if multiple interpretation means that each performer, good performer, who has a responsibility to get the basic notes right and so on, a a responsible performer brings something new to how a a work of music sounds, a sonata sounds, then we regard that as exciting and we want that. So even though um, there's an enormous debate about what it means to have an adequate interpretation or get it something right and so on, then the demand is sort of like reading a dialogue by Plato. It would be really boring if we were still reading it as we were reading it a thousand years ago. What we want to do is read it in different ways because these texts carry their history and we want to find new things in it and so it so that the arguments speak to us today. We have, as I said, a responsibility to, in a sense, be true to or to get something right, that which is written down or in score. But that's very difficult to pin down this space between getting the notes right and the thing that we bring to it. Shakespeare has a wonderful idea of meeting an artwork or a poem halfway. So we bring something to it, and it, it gives us half back. And it's in that middle space, meeting it halfway, that all the the liveliness of interpretation takes place. So it's not one, one interpretation versus multiple. It's more this idea of, meeting artworks halfway and letting them speak to us and letting us speak back to them and then you have a really interesting history of reading or performance practice.
0: My dog Coco howls when she hears the music on the Antiques Roadshow. Look I don't know if she's really enjoying it or if the sound's hurting her ears but what type of understanding do you think non-human animals have of music?
1: Non-human animal, I have no idea. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really know. I don't. Know. They surely can hear sounds. I mean, like they can respond um, to certain kinds of calls. There's a whole history of bird song, which is extremely interesting. Whether you would call it music is the crucial question. If you have to have a concept of music in order to hear it as music, then one would say that non-human animals, if they don't have a conceptual understanding, don't have an idea of music. They don't hear music. They hear the materials of music, of sound. But the, the most interesting explorations come out of birth song and the way that it's used as a language and I suspect that that's the more interesting route of inquiry to ask about music as language um, so you wouldn't say does a cat get pleasure listening to a symphony if it purrs but more how do animals use sounds as a way of communicating and that would be the idea of music as a language music as a mode of communication
0: What is the relationship between music and the mind?
1: (laughs) The entire history of music and the entire history of mind. I think the the key question here, if you want all these quick snap answers, (laughs) is that people have often turned music into something that has no cognitive Payoff that they say that music, because it's about sound, is about just pleasurable sensation or emotions or expression, and therefore doesn't correspond to thoughts. If you have music that has no image or word attached to it, so not opera, not song, but um, most non-popular music. I mean, most popular music have, you know, words and so on, or social occasions attached which give it cognitive content. They say it's purely instrumental music, but it has no cognitive payoff, and so philosophers who want to make music into a serious subject of philosophical study have then to show that music is connected to concepts and has some role to play in the mind. One of the ways that it is done by philosophers is to talk about rhythm or movement, the way in which thoughts get patterns or the way you see patterns in mathematical proofs or something to give it some mental or cognitive standing. Um, But again, um, there are all kinds of attempts to show that music has, it depends what you mean by mind, if you mean thought, the question for the philosopher is how can music capture uh, not just a way of thinking or a content of thinking, but a form of thinking? Does it capture the way that thinking moves and the way when our mind is moved? For example, you mentioned earlier on, you asked me about Remembering music that you heard many years ago, how does music correspond to the unconscious or to modes of memory or remembrance? How come we can remember songs that we heard as children? How does that repetition of a song work in the mind and what does it contribute to the idea of the continuity of consciousness, the way that we feel ourselves? linked to our past i i feel this very strongly at the moment because having recently retaken up the violin i feel as if i'm reliving my whole childhood when i practice my violin every day and this this is really interesting to me because i'm now learning as a very educated adult where before i learned as a child and the whole way of learning how to be musical on the violin and how to play and how to use rhythm and pitch and so on are completely different projects, but all the time I'm unlearning my childhood the way that I learned when I was a child and having to relearn it all again, and it's completely fascinating. But there is still the weird thing that I can play pieces that I could play when I was, say, 12 years old, I can still play them by memory. I don't need any notation, but the memory is in my fingers and in my arms, and that's really extraordinary to me. So thats like, it's all very part of our human behavior, on our mind, the, the use of our mind, but it's very buried and somewhere in the unconscious of our mind.
0: Yeah, I've always found that quite fascinating. One of my brothers used to play by ear and he never read music but he could hear a piece and yeah. then repeat it. And I, I always like well, I certainly couldn't and I always found that quite fascinating. So I suppose in a way somebody who can do that is actually a musical genius really, aren't they? Well, maybe not genius but they're
1: certainly very musical. A person who improvises at the piano, a great jazz musician, they will be playing the notes they're playing in the present moment, plus projecting, imagining what they, what's going to happen and what's already happened. And they're going to produce over a period of time, say 15 minutes, a really well-formed musical piece. And that's genius. It's another kind of talent to be able, and it's, it means you have an extraordinary ear, if you can hear something and then play it back from memory without the use of notation. So that's an extraordinary talent. But it's the talent of being able to reproduce music, not create it from scratch. Someone like little Mozart could do both, of course. He could hear something, reproduce it, and then parody it and produce a joke out of it and mock the person who's been playing before him. So there's all kinds of these talents, different skills you have to do with with the ear, the ability to listen. I unfortunately am someone who's very dependent upon notation and so could never be a jazz player of any sort. That's because I'm classically trained or simply hopeless but anyway but
0: your brother sounds very talented Yes, yes he, he certainly is. Is there anything else you'd like to add that we haven't already covered? No, I don't think so
1: Okay
0: Do you have any future study plans within this field?
1: Well I've just finished a long book which is to do with opera, La Boheme. and so I've been writing a lot about opera, and I've been, been writing about Bach recently, and at the moment I'm writing about the use of harp and the piano in the films of the Marx Brothers, and so I'm looking at how instruments are used in comedy, so in Buster Keaton and Laurel and Hardy in the Marx brothers. So I always take on projects where I can uh, use really interesting material and mm. silent comedy and early films are wonderful material for looking at music and that they, how a comedy is affected through music. So that's my new subject at the moment.
0: Oh, right. Yeah, that actually made me think of, of something quite funny. My My mother said my mother was buying my daughter a piano and I said look Mm. I said you know every second person has a piano I said why don't you get her something different why don't you get her a harp and she said well the only people I know that have played the harp are Harpo Marx and Morticia Adams so (laughs) 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 so she didn't think it was a very very a very good idea so we went with the piano
1: (laughs) But, uh, the th- harp is really difficult to carry around.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's quite unique as well. <laughs> yes, that's
1: true. That's,
0: true. Yeah. that's true. Well, thanks very much yes. for coming onto the program today.
1: Okay, hope it helped. hope it
0: was interesting. <laughs> oh, it certainly was. Today I've been speaking with Professor Lydia Gurr about the philosophy of music. Hope you've enjoyed the program. I've certainly enjoyed your company and do stay tuned for the fabulous Swing and Sway.